Good afternoon. This is Michael Hughes of Going Global International Interviews. Today we're speaking with Terry Beekman, the author of a new book, Get Ahead by Going Abroad. You can learn more about Terry and her book at getaheadbygoingabroad.com. And if you're interested in looking at an edited transcript, you can find them at intlalliances.com and midwestbusiness.com. So, Terry, let's jump right into it. Um, what are the advantages and disadvantages of living and working abroad? Well, I think there are, it's easy for people usually to identify the disadvantages. Uh, you are away from home, you're away from family, you miss a lot of major events, you have to learn how to do things differently, I mean, and all of that is true. Um, so what I'd like to focus on, though, is the advantages, because I think that they are even greater than those, um, those disadvantages, which I think of as more disappointments or hassles. But the advantages are really, um, first of all, a constant sense of learning and wonder. If you go in with the right mindset, I just think that being abroad is it's every minute of every day, whether you are commuting or shopping or working, it is a new experience. And if you're open to it, it is a wonderful experience. You learn something constantly. So first is the learning. The second is with, with greater learning, um, usually comes actually a different point of view and a broader capability in terms of thinking. So your skill set for critical thinking and your ability to look at issues from multiple points of view, that is enhanced. That, and that's tied a lot to general management or senior management. So learning how to do that early is good. Um, the third thing is um, that when you uh, are thinking differently, you're thinking more broadly, that usually lends itself to having greater responsibility. Greater responsibility usually tends to lend itself to more money. More money tends to uh, also then lend itself to a lot of other benefits that you could have. And then I would say not only is those are all kind of professional, on the personal side, I also feel that it is a real life-changing experience um, for the individual in terms of how they look at their own country. I know that going abroad made me both uh, respect and appreciate America in a way that I never did by being here. It also made me realize that we really don't have all the answers and that there are other countries and other cultures that are truly fabulous and that we should be pulling from them and trying to learn from them. Well, now, you're obviously also a woman and a member of a family, and that presents special problems when you're going abroad. How do you address those problems as a woman as a member of a family? Well, I'm not sure I'd actually say um, that being a woman, let's separate woman and family, uh, because I actually went abroad without a family. I was single the whole time I was there. Uh, but as a woman, I would say that it's more obvious to think upon, but actually I found it to be more to my advantage. And let me give you a couple of examples of why that was the case. Uh, some of the places that I lived were cultures where uh, men and age, for example, were very revered or where a very authoritarian system was in place, parts of Asia, Russia, for example. If I had been an older man trying to give advice to a client, um, it would have sometimes been very confrontational. It would have felt confrontational. There would have been a power conflict. Um, whereas if you are a young woman and if you can, um, if you get the right advice and you can then not worry about your ego in terms of where does that idea come from, you actually have a much better chance of selling that idea as the one that the client came up with. So if you are focused on what's right for the client's organization and about their success and you can put your ego aside, it's actually easier to work as a woman. I'll give you another example. A friend of mine who's a journalist, and I love this story. Um, she said that uh, she worked with Business Week at the time. She lived in Russia. And she said that she got eight cover stories in the three years that she was in Russia, which, you know, as a reporter, you would understand is a lot. 
And she said a lot of times she got it because she was a woman. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, because they discount women. They kind of didn't even care you were in the room because they didn't take you as seriously as they took the men. So they said all sorts of things that they wouldn't normally have said in front of a man. And now, as a woman, you can either look at that and be offended because they didn't take you seriously, or you can look at that and say, I've got eight cover stories that no man would have gotten. I think she did the right thing by thinking about the fact she got eight cover stories. And so I think there are real advantages to being a woman overseas. Excuse me, I'm just it was, well, it was in the international editions of Business Week um, and, and, and the U.S. edition, so it was worldwide. She often got the covers worldwide. And I will tell you, as somebody who works with um, the Russian government, uh, the Wall Street Journal was delivered every morning in the Kremlin, um, and uh, certainly at the time I was there, um, and I'm sure that was true of Business Week as well. So they would have known it came out. Um, and I'm not saying that she got information that she was not allowed to have. I'm saying she might have gotten better quotes or she got more context. Um, but in essence, what she was saying is she got better access and they were less restrained talking to her than they would have been talking to a man. And then even after some of these things that came out, sure. why not all over? No. Sure. Okay, cool. So, yeah, the other path you asked about was family. I don't know. Um, we, can, we can talk about that very briefly. Um, the truth is, I think families, it can be one of the greatest gifts you could ever give your family is to take them overseas. And I think a lot of families can adapt to overseas uh, postings much more than you might think. What I would say is a watch out in the one period where um, we definitely have seen that it is difficult is in the high school period. If you have children of a high school age, it is really difficult for them to be moved around. So you are much better off trying to be stable at the point in which they are getting ready to go to high school and in their time in high school. Even if that stability happens overseas, you don't want to move them in between. You're killing me. I've seen a woman with a high school daughter. So I don't know where that's going to be. Are you going to take her abroad right now? That's the question. Okay, just thinking about the opportunity to go abroad. It seems to me in your book, a lot of the opportunities that are mentioned in your keeping it real part of it are Americans working with Americans. Do you know anything about the opportunities of working with foreign firms in the I know a bit about it. Certainly my experience has more been large multinationals. And large multinationals uh, tend to be either European or U.S.-based. Um, so that would be more of the, of the trend. But what I would tell you is that there, the, the fastest growing trend in expatriation happens to be intra-regional expatriation, which means you take an Argentine and you bring it to Brazil, or you take a Mexican and you bring them uh, to Argentina, et cetera. So that is a space that has actually really taken off. It's taken off in Asia. It's taken off in, in Latin America. Um, and there are a lot of Latin firms that are doing that, and there are a lot of Western firms that are doing that. In terms of uh, having an American work for um, a, a, what we would call a national firm, so an American working in a Russian company, actually there's a big market for that now because as these national icons of Russia or China or Brazil want to expand beyond their native market, they are looking for Americans or Europeans to help them actually get into that person's home country. So if you're a Russian company and you want to be listed on the U.S. stock exchange, who are you going to hire as your advisor? Who are you going to hire as your head of investor relations? You're going to hire an American, not a Russian. And so there are actually opportunities uh, for Americans in these large national firms as these large national firms expand beyond their native borders. Okay. 
and a lot of other business functions in addition to PR, I assume, too. Oh, I'm not even talking PR. I'm actually talking about all of the other types of functions because communication is one of the things that often stays local. Um, so, in a, in a, I don't think of large Russian firm. They may hire an investor relations person from America, but if you talk about their communication director, a lot of times that person is going to be somebody who can really understand the culture of the, of the CEO and of the company more than of the country they are trying to expand into. You would usually um, get that as a consulting service, not hire that inside. Yeah. Okay. And um, a lot of our readership are technology people. Do you think there are greater or fewer opportunities for technology? That is a great question, and, and the truth is, I'm not 100% sure, because I, 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 see, I see it from both sides. On the one hand, technology is the, is the equalizer of the world, and so uh, people, I, my husband's a techie, and, and, and techies tend to be able to talk with techies no matter what culture they're in, and so from that regard, it's a great equalizer, and you can take your skills in technology anywhere in the world, because if you can run that software in one country, you can run it in another country, um, or any other application, and again, I'm not the techie here, but... What I also see, though, is that there's a huge capability for technology in a lot of these markets already. And so they have their own technology uh, firms and their own technology experts. And so do they need to buy it from elsewhere? And I think that's the, that's the question that makes me wonder how big is the opportunity. I think what you've got is a very transfer, uh, trans, uh, transferable skill. The question is whether you're unique. Gotcha. Um. Okay, and, and another niche group, um, more experienced workers. Do you think there are greater or fewer opportunities for younger people as opposed to older people or older people as opposed to younger people? Uh, another great question. I think the, uh, my answer would be it depends. I think that uh, the historical model was you take the, the both sides of the spectrum. You take really young people because they're inexperienced and they're inexpensive. And you make them, you send them out, um, and you let them, uh, you let them uh, develop. Uh, you let them develop, you let them uh, grow, you let them spread their wings, you, you try them out basically, you test them. Um, and this is usually uh, at a point where not only are they inexpensive, they're also very easy to move because they usually haven't put down roots yet in terms of family, in terms of children, etc. And so they actually want the opportunity. So normally in the kind of, in the 20s is a place where people would be sent. They also send people in their 50s and 60s. And the 50s was usually to go because you were opening up a new market. Let's take China. And headquarters really needed to feel confident about who they sent to China in terms of their ability to negotiate, their ability to uh, stand up to the ethics and the values that the firm um, uh, lives by, their ability to strategically understand the firm's objectives in that market. And also a lot of these markets stature mattered, so age was valued in Asia. And so you had, you had the two extremes have always been the case. For women, the difference was that those were usually uh, related to men. The, the difference in the older um, set is really in women. And that is that you now have women who are done raising their children, whose children have gone off to college, and they're saying to themselves, you know, it's not just about getting ahead, but it is, I want a life experience. I want to, I've always wanted to work in Paris. I've always wanted uh, to see Asia. And they are volunteering to go out on these assignments, not because they're going to get more money or more responsibility, but because they're going to get an amazing life experience. So we are seeing a growing number of older women actually being expatriated because they have the experience, they have the capability, and now they're taking the life opportunity. But, you know, in my mind, the toughest thing is getting the position. So let's explore that a little bit, and I think we can do it relatively quickly. Um, what's the first step in looking for a position abroad in your mind? 
Well, I think the most important thing is to decide what you want. Why do you want an international position? Is it about the money? Is it about the power? Is it about the life experience? Is it because you just desperately want to live in that specific, in a specific market or city? You have to know what you want before you can appropriately pursue an opportunity. I have friends who, they had always just, they studied Russian in school, and for them, it meant they had to go to Moscow or St. Petersburg. This was not about working overseas. This was about getting to Moscow or St. Petersburg. I've had other friends, me, for example, and, and a lot of my other friends, we just wanted to live overseas. We didn't actually um, have only one destination in mind. I admit I was more focused on Europe than I was on, on Asia, but it wasn't one single destination because of a family heritage or a language we spoke. It was much more so about the opportunity to be living overseas. But whatever it is you want, the more clear you can get, it's like any plan. The clearer you are about the objective, the better chance of succeeding. And is there any specific experience that you would say is required or helpful? I think there are a number of experiences that are helpful, uh, and then everything else depends on what it is you've decided to go after and what the circumstances of your industry or your company are. So if you, if you think about what would be helpful, there are a couple questions that any organization asks itself before they send somebody overseas, uh, in my experience. One of them is, what's in it for me? So the company wants to know, what am I going to get out of sending this person overseas? Because it's a risk and it costs more, so what am I going to get? The second thing they ask is, what is this person going to get? If we're going to invest to send them, what are we going to get out of them or what are we going to give them that is going to be really different and that's going to be helpful to us? Um, the third thing is that they want to know, what is the chance of this person being able to survive in the, in the opportunity that we see for them? Uh, and are they going to be interested? So in each one of these aspects, what you can do if you want that job is, first of all, you should be looking at your own company strategy or your organization's strategy. You should be understanding, are they investing in Latin America or are they investing in Russia? Uh, are they trying to grow internationally or not? Um, and if they are, what product lines are growing? What types of jobs are they sending overseas and what are they hiring locally? And then you map that up with what your goal is and what your skill set is and what they've already identified as your potential development or your potential um, overall in the company. Are they targeting you for senior management or are you somebody they said, you do a good job, but, you know, we're not really sure we're going to invest in you. You need to be really honest with yourself about where you stand in that, in that discussion. Um, then you put those two things together and you decide that, you know, they said I really need uh, general management experience. I need to get out of my comfort zone. I need to be stretched. Um, and then you happen to be in a particular function where they're investing in Latin America in that function, that's probably a good match. You can see that as a win-win. But then what you need to do, because they're still going to be worried about whether you can make it in Latin America, you should do some things. You should join some organizations or associations that are Latin-oriented, so you begin to get comfortable with the culture. You should start figuring out which language or languages are spoken in that country, and if you don't already speak it, you should start learning it now. You should be looking at whether or not um, there are any particular qualifications, you know, accounting, law, et cetera. These have specific native qualifications. Is there anything you can do to start building that knowledge base and qualification while you are still here in America? Uh, and then the last thing that I would do um, is to say you should go there. You should actually take your vacation time, get yourself on a plane, and go there. And you should not only spend some time there and look around and for your own peace of mind get a sense of whether you can make it. I think you would also then try and set up interviews or just meetings, 
grab a coffee with some of the heads of the businesses in that market from your firm or your organization. So they see you, in situ, they get an idea of how you would fit in there. If you can put all of that together, you are a much higher likely, you have a higher likelihood of getting that job for two reasons. One, there is more clear benefit that they can see, and two, you are a lower risk. Now, have you found that using a American resume is the most successful way to present yourself or adapting your American resume to local norms? Uh, if you are trying to be hired locally, go local. Uh, when I was in Europe, I had a CV. I didn't have a resume. When I was in Asia, I had a fact. Everywhere in the world I've had a CV except America where I had a resume. Um, I think it's... You extrapolate a little bit how easy it's different from a resume. Some people might not know the difference. Well, and they can, they can be quite different or they can be not that different. But I think the big difference, uh, what I would articulate is why does it matter, is the setup, the structure, and then the length. A CV tends to be longer and more descriptive and more narrative about what you do. And a resume tends to be, you know, Americans were very short uh, uh, in terms of our, our time span and our focus, and we want to see the action, the activity. Um, it's less important usually depending on your profession about the degrees, et cetera. It's more about what skills can I do, what project management skills do I have, what can I deliver, what have I delivered, um, and can you be done in one page. So it's usually um, kind of a slightly different format. To me, you need to appear as desirable as possible to the hiring manager. So if that hiring manager is a Brazilian in Brazil, then you figure out what he would normally see that would make sense to him and persuade him to hire you. And do you find that the interviewing process is different at all when you're interviewing for international positions? Well, and I think that depends on whether you're interviewing internationally with the U.S. company in the U.S., uh, or whether you are interviewing in another country for a, uh, a job in that country. Um, if you are interviewing with a local manager in a local country, then it's quite clearly different. In fact, it's radically different. Um, and it, and it, it differs, depends on what country or culture you are in. Um, is this a two-hour session? Is this done over a lunch? Is this a 15-minute meeting? Um, is it with other people or is it just one-on-one? -on -one? All those things are different depending on um, the culture you, you are interviewing in. If you're talking about being interviewed by your current firm in your current location for a potential overseas job, actually, I would say it's not different enough. They should spend more time making it different because what I find is a lot of HR doesn't really, I mean, I think I have a great HR advisor within my firm today, but the truth is a lot of HR doesn't actually understand what it would take to succeed internationally, and therefore the interview is pretty bland. It doesn't really drive at what would be required to succeed. So I think it's on the onus is on the interviewee to figure out how to make clear, how to get your questions answered, because remember an interview is a two-way street, and how to make um, your uniqueness and your qualifications for that market come through. Okay. And I think getting an international job is, is a lot tougher than finding a basic domestic position. So let's talk about a few of the obstacles. Are international jobs primarily offered by big firms, or do you find that there are opportunities for smaller firms, too? I think there are certainly opportunities with all size firms, but just by the law of average, um, there are more opportunities with big firms. Big firms are, uh, have more money to take risks and place bets, so they can put more expats out there. I mean, crap, we will increase our number of expatriates by about 600 this year. You know, a small firm could never do that. Um, and so uh, when you look at it, it's just about, as I said, the law of average, the law of numbers. Um, big scale gives you more opportunity to expatriate. And um, how important do you think 
knowing the local languages and trying to position. Yeah, I know. I know. We've, we've talked about this before. I think that uh, for me, language. You know, the question is, what is the role you're going to play? I think language is always a plus, and language is required in certain jobs or certain markets. But it is not required in every market, and it is not required in every role. Um, and so, therefore, what I would say is, if you don't speak a foreign language, don't mean it automatically takes you out of the race for getting an international job. If you do speak a foreign language, there is no question it will only help you. And in certain markets and in certain professions, you simply must speak the language. And you need to figure that out before you apply for the job. Now, I'm missing words abroad, and it was in a very well-developed country. I'm missing words in Germany. And I've got to be honest, my first three months in Germany were three of the toughest months of my life, despite all the supposed similarities in demographics, education, earnings, and those kinds of things. So, how do you think people should consider culture shock, be it even in developed countries, developing countries? How do you deal with that? Uh, first of all, I mean, the most important thing is to recognize it's going to happen. And it's going to happen no matter where you go. Um, one of the great uh, things uh, I love, I'm so lucky that despite the fact that I wanted to go to London, that I actually didn't get to go to London first, that I actually went through Asia and then through Russia and then finally uh, got to London because had I just gone to London, um, I would never have understood actually how different London is from the U.S., and I probably would have failed in London. Um, it was the culture shock of Asia and then of Russia that helped me get um, to understand the nuances and the signs and the fact that if even on the surface it looks like we're doing the same thing or we're saying the same thing or we're responding the same way, that's not really what's happening underneath because our history, our culture, our values are not the same. And so I think that what I would say for most people is that you should just expect that you are going to have a fair degree of culture shock no matter where you go. Don't think you're weird. Don't think it's easy. It's not going to be. And the other thing, having been expatriated several times, I will tell you, every single time it's hard. And every single time you get to a point where you think, what am I doing and why am I doing this? And maybe I should just go home. It would be easier. But I, I would also say that every one of those times has passed. Um, and I keep, I stay at it, and then it has always paid off in a way that is both personal and professional, and I'm always so glad I didn't give up. Um, but, you know, just know you're going to feel it. And, and see, you feel it when you change companies, too. It's not just about changing, because a, a corporate culture can be almost as strong as a national culture. So I just think you have to be open to change, and then you have to have a fixtuitiveness, if you will, to make it. Um, a couple other quick things. I know we're running out of time. Do you have any thoughts on the differences in opportunities for business versus working for a government, say working in education or a nonprofit? Mm -hmm. um, I think there are opportunities in all four spaces. I think there are uh, more opportunities um, probably in uh, for long-term, you know, multi-year placements, particularly in the developed markets. I think you are much better off going to a business or going to uh, a government body. Nonprofits, however, are a great new uh, opportunity, and I think a growing opportunity, to get into developing markets. They can't afford a lot of high-paid expats, but boy, can they give some of the most phenomenal opportunities. Uh, I have friends who uh, spent years in Africa, uh, you know, even 20 years ago, and they still say it was the most rewarding and moving experience of, the, of their professional life. Um, so I think nonprofits are a great place to look at for um, developing markets. 
Um, and so, I, you know, anywhere uh, you can you can possibly get an opportunity, but you just have to again be focused on what is it you want to achieve, and then line up the type of organization in the market to get that goal. Um, Living and working abroad, you mentioned it changed. How? Uh, well, first of all, there's no question I would not have picked the husband I picked had I not lived overseas. Uh, my husband is a foreigner, and uh, he is he is very much uh, not an American in, in mindset, attitude, disposition, anything. Uh, and I think having lived overseas in so many places, it really made me appreciate um, somebody with a global mindset. It made me appreciate um, the idea that, I mean, America is great because it's all about me. It's all about the individual. It's all about the capitalist dream. And I think that's great. But what I really learned overseas is that there has to be a blend of what's, what's in it for me and what's in it for the greater good and what's in it for society. Um, and so that was a perspective that really changed me. I've become much more tolerant. I may not seem a highly tolerant person. I have very strong points of view on everything. I'm very particular. Uh, that is no, no question. But I actually still am highly, uh, uh, more highly tolerant than I ever was. Uh, and I learned that overseas. Um, I learned to appreciate difference. Um, I learned to uh, really uh, listen to what's being said as opposed to just what I think I heard. Um, and I think that that's when, you, when you're going to marry into a foreign culture, uh, it's really important that you can understand how to communicate in a way that is about the essence of the point, not correcting the grammar of the point. Um, and so, you know, I think on all those things, I, you know, as I said when we, earlier, um, I think that one of the most important things I learned is that I really love America. I think America is a phenomenal country, and it is uh, probably the, the place that I would choose to live the rest of my life if I got pigeonholed and could only live in one place. But conversely, there's a lot of the rest of the world that I think is phenomenal, and, um, and, I, and I do hope to live overseas uh, again. Okay, I guess one last question. You're kind of an East Coaster, now living in the middle of the country in the great Midwest after having lived in some exotic places throughout the world. Mm -hmm. What do you think of Chicago as an international destination, workplace, so on and so on? I think Chicago, the city, is a fabulous city. Um, it, is, uh, it is actually much more livable than New York. Um, and it has a lot of great culture and art and, and uh, you know, restaurants and museums. And so while I am still uh, and will ever be a fan of the Met and the Louvre, I have to say I really do like um, Chicago for those things. The other, I mean, the reason we're really drawn to the Midwest uh, is, one, the unique opportunity of craft. But more importantly, uh, even than that, perhaps, was the uh, family values of the Midwest. You know, I have an 18-year-old right now and I just turned four. And the just turn four was really my motivation for wanting, I have a global job and a 15-minute commute. Um, and you can tell I'm not on the Edens. Um, but, um, you know, that's really important, and it's why I wanted to come to the Midwest, because that doesn't really exist in New York. Um, in terms of uh, how, do you, how do you compare them and, and, and where would you put them in, I think it's, it depends on, you know, what your, what your life stage is. For us, this is a good place to be right now. Uh, in terms of an international destination, it's not that international, but it's increasing. And I certainly hope with programs like yours and uh, more uh, media exposure and more opportunities that Chicago has everything it would take to be a real international city. We just have to choose to really want it. Sammy, we're just about out of time. Anything else you'd like to say about your book, your career? Uh, no, the only thing I would want to say to anybody who's listening to this, um, 
I really believe that if you have any desire at all to go overseas, whether it's for a short-term assignment or a long-term assignment, uh, I would just say go for it. You will never, ever regret it. Very good. Thank you very much.